Welcome to episode 137 of the Headspace and Timing Podcast, a show that's dedicated to changing the way that the military-affiliated population thinks and talks about veteran mental health. On today's show, I have a conversation with combat veteran and best-selling author Carl Melantis. His book, Matterhorn, was described by Sebastian Younger as one of the most profound and devastating novels ever to come out of Vietnam or any war. His companion book, What It Is Like to Go to War, is his personal look at what war experience is like. I'm going to be doing something different on the Headspace and Timing podcast. Some listeners have asked for some shorter episodes. We're still going to be releasing two shows a week, but the Tuesday show will be a short introduction to the longer conversation, which will be released on Thursday. If you like this format or don't, let me know by dropping me a line at info at veteranmentalhealth.com. You're listening to Headspace and Timing, where we're trying to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health. To start off with, Carl and I talked about his experiences in Vietnam, in which he was in the mountains and didn't have the ambiguity of being in a counterinsurgency fight. He talks about his outlook on, and the impact of, 19 and 20 year old soldiers stuck in these ambiguous situations. It was absolutely, if you could identify it as someone that wasn't your side, you could shoot. If you can't send a military organization into an environment where they can't act like a military organization, then maybe you ought to be thinking about sending in the State Department or the police force or something like that. We've been misusing our warriors. Uh, you know, they're, they're young. They're 19, right? I mean, putting them in these moral dilemmas where they're trying to figure out whether to pull the trigger or not. And then with the fear of getting court-martialed if they make a mistake, I'm just going like, you've got the wrong people there. As I've said on the show before, Vietnam veterans often had to hide the fact that they served because they didn't want to get the backlash. Here, Carl gives an illustration of how far many Vietnam veterans went to avoid talking about their service, and how some of Carl's peers feel about it now. We had really close friends that my wife, my first wife, and had been in college with this other woman, and so they knew each other from college. And uh, we were both married couple, and our kids about the same age, and Barry was the man's name. He and I coached the uh, soccer team together, and, and uh, we'd pick the kids up after school. We'd switch off. We'd have overnights. And after about six or eight years, the wives were talking and found out that Barry and I were both Marines in Vietnam. That's how underground the Vietnam veterans went because of that horrible reception. Now, the country has learned from that. And uh, I've had many, many people come up to me and say, I don't know what was going on. Why did we behave that way, non-veterans? Uh, we, we went kind of cuckoo. And, and the country did. And it was just casting their darkness onto these young kids. Carl and I talked about his novel, Matterhorn, that he carried around for 35 years before it was published, and why he feels it was relevant when it was published due to the parallels between Afghanistan and Vietnam. The, the first draft of Matterhorn was done in the 70s, and no one would touch it. I couldn't get a single person to even read it. I'd get letters from agents or publishers in New York saying, oh, yeah, we lost that war. No one wants to hear about it. We couldn't sell this book to save our souls. And it took 30 years, 35 years before it got published. And I think a lot of it was because um, 
what we were involved with in Afghanistan in particular, but Iraq looked pretty seriously close to it. It was eerily similar. I mean, rules of engagement, they could run across the border. We couldn't shoot them. We were supporting corrupt government. Uh, uh, No one understood what was going on. The the rest of the country didn't care. Uh, The Taliban wasn't, you know, storming the beaches of Santa Monica. I mean, you know, it's pretty hard to tell a 19 year old he's defending his family when his family's out shopping. Uh, So, all of that was eerily similar to the Vietnam situation. Carl's an outspoken advocate for therapy and mental health counseling. He tells a story of how he first approached counseling in the mid-90s, nearly 25 years after he left Vietnam, and met the therapist who he credits with helping him resolve these issues, Dr. Larry Decker, who I had as a guest on the podcast back in episode 99. I had never heard of post-traumatic stress. Never heard of it. And I was doing some really weird behavior. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I bumped my head against the cabinets in the kitchen, and I took the cabinets out with my fists. I mean, I would, I would, I'd be up in the middle of the night. There'd be a noise. I'd be out on the street, stark ass naked. My first wife, who uh, she and I are great friends now, we didn't know what hit us. That was what the problem was. No education. She was. She saw something for a free counseling session at the local school at, in the cafeteria. Bunch of local counselors uh, for job stress, and she. She said, you're under a lot of job stress. I mean, you're really behaving weird. And uh, yeah, I guess so. So I went down there and I'm sitting there, a bunch of, you know, people in the, in the school cafeteria. And I, finally my turn comes up and I sit down at the, at the table with this guy and he's, he starts asking me some questions. And uh, I start telling him about some of these weird behaviors that I just mentioned to you. And he looks at me and he says, were you ever in a war? And when he said that, I burst into tears. I mean, I, I mean, I, I didn't know what hit me. I mean, I'm talking about snot running out of my nose, bawling for 10 minutes. Finally, he, you know, I start to get back to, and, and he, he, he looks at me and he writes on the back of a card. He says, Larry Decker, he said, I'm going to call him on the phone and you're going to go see him now. Not tomorrow, not next week, not this afternoon. I'm calling him now. And you're walking down to see him and uh, you better show up. You have something called post-traumatic stress disorder. Have you ever heard of it? No. Well, you got it. <laughs> and, and so I, I'm stumbling down the street, literally with this card in my hand. I walk into the vet center and uh, Larry had a, had a client at the, right at that time and he came out and he said, I'll see you in about 20 minutes. And that started me on therapy. And it basically turned my life around because I was a complete wreck. We also discussed the impact of combat-related stress reactions on our families, and Carl describes how his kids, especially his older daughter, tried to make sense of his behavior. The kids learned to deal with me. I mean, they would actually take turns waking me up. I woke him up last time. It's not my turn. You wake him up. Because I'd, I'd come out of bed, you know, jumped. But, but one of the things is that nobody understood the dad wasn't crazy. Here's a great one. My, my Again, the same daughter. She said, why was it that if I dropped the milk one time, you would just be fine? You'd, you'd say, let's just clean it up and be, be absolutely calm. And if I dropped it another time, you would go through the roof, scream, jump, scream at me. And I went, it's because if you dropped it in front of me, I was fine. If you dropped it behind me, it set me off because of I, I, I was right back into the combat situation and I wasn't thinking anymore. And if you could just tell the kids, dad isn't crazy. If you scare him or startle him, that triggers something in his brain, which has been changed because of combat. And this is the result. Don't do it. Or if you do it and he goes off, you, you, can, you can make a joke about it. It's not, 
don't get so serious about it. Just understand it. And finally, he has some particular advice for clinical mental health counselors who are working with therapists and for veterans who feel like they can't talk to anyone who hasn't been to combat. I think just for therapists out there that you are no less effective because you don't understand, quote unquote, what it's like to be in combat. Nobody understands what it's like to be in combat except the one guy who's talking to you. I mean, that the people who have been there understand it, but that's very, very few people. What they're looking for is someone to listen to them, someone who's safe to talk to, someone who reaches them as an individual. That has nothing to do with combat. I mean, what, what therapists give to everybody, but certainly to veterans, is that ability to just sort of unburden your soul and then have somebody who isn't, doesn't have your particular you know, peccadillos and your rationalities uh, point out paths to you that you might not have thought of. And, uh, or maybe, you know, maybe your thinking's just a little confused on this issue. And that doesn't take any, any understanding of combat. It goes two ways. I mean, veterans, combat veterans, and believe me, I'm one of them, have a kind of a disdain for people that haven't been there. That gets in your way, too. I mean, if you want to rejoin society, you got to get off of that high horse. You're listening to Headspace and Timing, where we're trying to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health. This was a great conversation, and Carl and I talk a whole lot more in the longer conversation. We go a lot more in depth about his experiences returning from Vietnam, his thoughts on the responsibility of a nation for the conduct of its warriors, and his latest book, Deep River, which is on bookshelves now. If you want to get the episode when it comes out, hit subscribe on your podcast player of choice or check it out at veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash HST137. Just a reminder, the guests and information on this show are for informational purposes only and not meant to be considered professional advice. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate you taking the time to listen. Finally, remember, veterans, you're not alone, ever.